when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This is Nicole Hannah-Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. Hi, I'm Imri, the host of the Wannabe podcast, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I am so excited that you are back. Thank you for joining me again. You could be listening to anyone, but you're choosing to listen to me. This week, I am joined again by my good friend and personal tarot reader, Leona Nicole Black. Leona is a tarot therapist who launched her tarot business last year. She has a YouTube channel where she does monthly general tarot readings for each sign and she is currently studying her PhD at Leeds University. Listen to episode 45, where we talk about overcoming fear and introducing spirituality into your processes. In today's episode, we talk about how powerful reading is, that's books, not tarot, the right time to seek professional intervention for your depression or anxiety. We cover how the different types of therapy can impact your life. And we talk about the power of thoughts and what to do when you're feeling like you're not good enough. I hope it helps. Hi, Leona. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. Right. So the first question I ask everyone is, who did you want to be before you became who you are and why? Interesting. Um, bell hooks. That's what? A really, really easy answer for me. Why? Um, I think I knew I wanted to be a writer from very young. Um, I was writing when I was like 10 years old. I was just like writing stories, very terrible ones. (laughs) My friends ended up telling me in secondary school that this is trash. But um, I was just, I was always away in my mind. So writing was always a passion for me and something I wanted to do. And then I guess I I began to become aware of my intellectual capabilities and just my interest in social justice. And reading Bell's Hook's work, it just really changed my life, but also bridged the intellectual with the social and the cultural, which is what I care about. Really talking about things like emotions and family life and love and but in a critical way. Mm -hmm. And it blew me away, really blew me away. And I was like, that's the goal. That's it. Her. So you wanted to be Bell Hook? I did. A feminist writer or a writer in the way that she is a writer and is able to break down complex theories and ideas or you just cared about the subject matter it was like all of the things (laughs) Um, 
just everything it, it about was her. Everything in the sense of I loved how um, accessible her work was. Yeah. Um, without being simple, actually, it wasn't that her ideas were simple, but she recognized the audience and the community that she was writing to, and she wanted to convey something in a way that they could understand. It was absolutely like. I'd heard a lot about feminism growing up and it meant nothing to me. So she was the avenue for which I understood it as something that could personally transform me. So definitely kind of writing with a black feminist viewpoint, Mm -hmm. not necessarily needing to write about feminism itself, but just understanding that it's a kind of theoretical perspective that informs the lens in which I look at the world and experience my life. So there was that element of it, but also just seeing her, even seeing her age, like just the way she find, found grace, you know, in her being and yeah. even small things about how she shifted and like her hairstyles and, you know, Belle's just going out there with like little plaits and stuff. And <laughs> there was just so much about her that I found like this is really aspirational right down to you know at one point I watched an interview of her and she was talking about drawing in on both Christianity and Buddhism and I was raised Christian myself so understanding like how you broaden your spiritual perspectives she was it I was like bell hooks has just given me the roadmap wow that sounds like a great answer. I wish I had someone like that. <laughs> well, it's changed. She actually, actually isn't my, um, <laughs> she's no longer my go-to person, but for a long time she was. That's amazing. Why is she no longer the person that you're kind of aspiring to? And d- did you ever pursue writing in the end? Wow. I started a PhD. So in terms of did I pursue writing, having to write a hundred thousand word thesis, I Yo, think that counts. A <laughs> hundred thousand words is like bigger than a book. Yeah, that counts. I would say, um, I blogged, obviously, um, there was just that season where blogging became an outlet for a lot of us, particularly black women to express our worldview and our creative, our creativity. Um, so I remember like all the way from like my MySpace days, like putting things out. <laughs> um, so interestingly, I've been writing publicly for a long time. Um, I do consider myself a writer, although I'm in a hiatus stage at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I guess that her being my guiding light in some sense has shifted is because my sense of self has shifted or I think I was constructing my identity very strongly around my being an intellectual person and around my academic career you know so Mm -hmm. she was not just inspirational but she had given me like a blueprint of what how I would navigate the university what a career path could look like for me and that has really changed you know like I don't want to be um a university lecturer at this point in my life that has really shifted so who I'm aspiring to or looking at or learning from has changed in tandem with how I'm changing internally that makes perfect sense I think that's only natural Mm. what was the thing that was there like a specific moment that sparked that shift or has it been kind of a gradual change I would say the answer is kind of both um as in there was a catalyst so to speak a moment in my life in which um, well, maybe many moments, but definitely a moment where I recognised that academia and intellectualism and my, you know, my career as a researcher was a place I was escaping into and that I had kind of abandoned the other parts of myself, particularly my creative self. Mm-hmm. I remember like saying to some of my friends um, many, many years ago that I was no longer going to write in a public space. Like I, I was writing very creatively. I was writing um, about my depression. I was writing about my heartbreak. And I decided that I was just going to stop. Like I was no longer going to make my inner life available. I was going to close down my vulnerability. Yeah. And that wasn't just in terms of a blog space. I did that 
in my life altogether. And so I shut down my emotional self and just became very rational and was like, this is what's going to keep me safe. This is what's going to get me money. This is what's going to, you know, get my life where I want it to be. And so I had an experience that was like, it forced me into recognizing that I had suppressed and repressed so much and I needed to deal with it. And so that was the catalyst. And I guess, um, the last two years for me, um, of like emotional, personal and spiritual growth has been what has gradually made me seek other sources. It's not that I discount, um, bell hooks whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I still love her work and still engage, but, um, I just draw on a broader sense of sources now and I'm not so fixed in, like I put on my Facebook the other day that freeing myself of the kind of obligation or the the duty I felt to be smart was like one of the most liberating things I do. Like I don't care about being smart, a smart person anymore. Like this doesn't bother me. I think you're just naturally smart though. No, (laughs) I'll take the compliment. You're smart. (laughs) You're doing a PhD. I'll take the compliment, but I just feel like there was so much anxiety about being around being right. How did you even get to that point though? So being very wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong about a lot of things or wrong about just like one big thing and you were just like embarrassed to hell. And you're like, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. Um speaking of honestly, beyond just like being wrong sometimes, um, depression. Really understanding that my depression was rooted in my perfectionism and the very unrealistic expectations I placed on myself and what my life should look like and who I should be and what I should be doing. Um, I read The Gift of Imperfection um, by Brene Brown. Really like Brene Brown. So again, she's another academic and her research was on vulnerability. So both her and Bell Hooks were like, for me, um, we kind of call it affect theory in um, academic circles, but being able to take your emotional life seriously the very thing I'd run away from I found this field in an intellectual space that was like actually all of that is super valid yeah so um in a very 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 depressed state um someone recommended the book to me and it changed me I was like oh wow like there is um there is just a I am making myself ill by the ways that I'm thinking about things and the the expectations I'm placing on myself. So I guess that was the beginning of me embracing my imperfection, so to speak. Um, But just finding a path to more freedom, you know, just being a lot freer about everything. I actually just have like a really, I'm going to say a normal young adolescent path into literature so I had the Jacqueline Wilson's the JK <laughs> Rowling I read those yeah. um the Philip Pullman's but I do I do want to start reading more I, I'm kind of I've got the thirst for it I've just ordered Shonda Rhimes's autobiography <laughs> so we'll see how that goes and uh yeah this is a good chat on literature I didn't expect us to to go down this lane go down this path but yet here we are right so to steer the the conversation on can you tell me about a time that you really wanted to quit and did you quit? Ooh, what's my take on this question? Yes, <laughs> I can tell you about a time I wanted to quit and I did. <laughs> Quitting is sometimes very important. Um, yes, I was 2010, I think, and I was fresh out of uni. I'd graduated first class. Um, oh, sorry, excuse me. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Congrats. But I was also having one of the worst years of my life. And I was, I like 
within, I think, a couple of weeks, I was into a full-time job. I'd worked for most of my... Um... This is Nicole Hannah-Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks, that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. Undergraduate years anyway, because that's life and I need to help support myself. And um, I was temping in the NHS in the hospital and I got a job as a PA to a director. Now, this is the thing for me. This is like where all of this stuff had to fall away because that was a very kind of respectable job and it had mm-hmm. some prestige and people were happy for me. The pay was better. I jumped um, in pay bands like by two levels Damn. to get that job. So it was fantastic. And it was hell. I hated the job. Um, yeah, I was, I, was, I, I thought I need to be careful about how I talk about this person because yeah. they're a real human being now in the world. But they, I was not compatible with them <laughs> for That's this job diplomatic. whatsoever. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> um, I was struggling. I'll be honest as well. I felt like I kind of oversold myself a bit in the interview. You know, you land on the job, but I was mad stressed trying to land on this job. Yeah. But also it just wasn't in keeping with any of my skills. You know, and I'm, I'm not the sort of, I am such a maverick and such an independent person and I like to work alone. Yeah. And so this this service role of like trying to meet the needs of an, of another person was actually very personally traumatizing to me. Maybe because of some of the challenges I've had in, my, in the relationship with my mum. Yeah. Having a whole other person whose needs I was constantly like um trying to figure out how to meet and constantly failing it felt like yeah. um was anxiety in- inducing. I was very depressed without even recognizing it. So I was just really really struggling in that role and I got to a point where I just felt like I cannot do this anymore. Like I just don't I felt I was so depressed I thought I just I just cannot. And I did quit. <laughs> and well um, done. I think I lasted <laughs> three months they were furious oh, when wow. I left because obviously it had been a big recruitment process and yeah. they were also in like in the middle of a lot of change and stuff but I was just like I honestly cannot function like I just and I did quit I quit and not only did I quit I quit and went to bed like I quit and didn't get another job like I was just so fundamentally broken internally so oh, wow. that quitting was like pivotal for me because that was also that was a period of time in which I first went to therapy so that was the trigger like my aunt god bless her was like yeah this is serious <laughs> you know this is really bad and you actually need real help you yeah. know like you're not going to get over this by sleeping it off or you know retail therapy or any of these things like you need some support and yeah I went to see the GP and the rest is kind of history Mm -hmm. so I wanted to quit and I did and I felt like quitting was really important in getting me well well done amen for that because it sounded pretty horrendous just listening to it it what kind of therapy did you get by the way I'm just curious Ooh, and I've had plenty (laughs) when I obviously what the, the most common thing I find that they recommend on the NHS is CBT cognitive behavioral therapy it was fantastic for me, I would say. I was um, in all sorts of mental loops at that time. And that was what had, 
I felt like in some ways my mind had literally broken. Could you explain what CBT is for people that may not know? I mean, I've done it twice too, so I kind of know. Okay, so this is not a professional definition, just so everybody knows. Um, (laughs) The real life version. The user end, um, (laughs) what I think it is. Um, It is about, for me, I think um, CBT is about looking at your mental patterns, looking at the way you think about things and giving you tools to kind of shift your thinking in ways that I guess keeps you more healthy or is more empowering for you. Yeah. So um, I had like, I've been really anti-therapy before that just because it seemed like something middle-class white people do. Girl, you're speaking to my whole mother there. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's different now. I feel like the stigma has been, you know, reduced somewhat within the black community, but definitely then. 2010 like we weren't talking about therapy publicly the way we are now so I felt like it was an indulgence it didn't make sense and I particularly did not want a white therapist I knew that much like there was no way I was going to trust a white person with these very complex deep personal race related as well issues I was having but um I was blessed with an Asian therapist and she was amazing I was about to say her name but she might not appreciate that so (laughs) a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I, I will keep her confidentiality. Um, she was incredible, really compassionate. Um, the thing for me is that I'd never had, I couldn't believe that stranger cared about me so much. Like she really genuinely cared about me. There was, I remember a time in our, one of our sessions and she, she literally just said, I was thinking about you and, and she was recommending a book for me. And I was shocked. I was like, so when you leave, you, you think about me. Like, it's isn't, not just like a job. Yeah. I was like, she's actually thinking about me outside of this specific one hour appointment I have with her and about getting me well. And she was such an advocate for my well-being, And she really showed me like one of the things I found most helpful she helped me get to some of my core beliefs um which is kind of what cbt does it's all about kind of identifying your patterns of your thinking and one of my my biggest beliefs which i'm still undoing is i'm not good enough you know yeah and i didn't even know that 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 was functioning at a deep level for me and was shaping everything i was doing and feeling this constant i'm not good enough i'm bad i'm not enough and so her approach with me was like okay well let's test these thoughts you know like let's look at some scenarios like is this you know is this an evidence-based perspective that you yeah. have or not oh my god yes <laughs> <laughs> so this that is so was me that. as well <laughs> i found it helpful um through that process i ended up um becoming well enough to apply for my master's and kind of getting back on track with 
my greatest ambition, which was to be an academic. So um, I love her for the loving care that she gave me. And it really did put my mind back together. But like I said, um, I thought that was the beginning. I think CBT in some ways is a um, is a really good immediate intervention, but Absolutely. it doesn't really address any of, I don't think CBT addresses trauma. It really doesn't. No. Um, they've given me CBT twice. Mm-hmm. And the first time, definitely great for what it needed to do mm. um I was dealing with a lot of things at once and it was really common sense actually like I remember sit, going to that first session and being like well yeah of course it works like that like duh <laughs> um, like your thoughts impact your behaviors and then you kind of go for a cycle which you kind of really can't get out of um and so you have to kind of break those down and I found a lot of the tools really really helpful so mm-hmm. like documenting my mood was yeah. really helpful um on a day-to-day basis and I found that I got more depressed or had more depressed thinking when I was doing nothing or when I was commuting on the train and I wasn't listening to anything so no music so the difference it was like well what behavior can you do to change that well Mm. I can listen to music or have a kindle and read a book and immediately that kind of just shifts that 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 pattern that I was in um so I found loads of the tools really helpful the second time though I kind of get recurring patterns of depression and anxiety every, almost every year, like clockwork at the exact same period of time in spring, it just comes at me. And I don't know where that's coming from. I don't remember any specific moment in my life, which happened to be more traumatic at that period of time, but every year around that same time. Um, And I, I remember going through what was one of my worst periods this year, actually. And I remember calling the doctors and they still recommended CBT. And I was like, I don't want cbt like it's not i ha- already use all the tools like these tools aren't getting me out of this kind of hamster wheel situation of clearly there is a trauma here that needs to kind of be dealt with and yeah. purged um and i kind of know what some of it is i don't know and there's things that have been piled onto it so mm. i know what some bits are but not all of it so yeah I, I feel like I definitely need a different one but they keep recommending me that one and I'm like well <laughs> my options are CBT again or pills um, so so far pills just been holding me down so I'm cool for now um but yeah I, I really I really appreciate you sharing that with with the listeners and myself as well because I think um, a lot of people probably need access to therapy or just need therapy and won't do it or are scared of what it means and haven't heard like people like them say, yeah, maybe there's something more to this that you might need professional interventions for. And it's really not as bad as you think. It's actually just going to a room and sitting down and having a nice chat with a I'm person. super open about it. One, because I feel like it honestly saved my life because like I said, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go to work. I was, I couldn't leave a bed, you know? So I definitely needed more than, you know, a pep talk. Um, but I have done private therapy. So mm-hmm. after that, when I was feeling like, okay, that didn't really address the full issues. I did psychodynamic therapy. Ooh, um, I've never heard of that one before. I've heard of psychotherapy, but. <laughs> well, it's a type of, it is psychotherapy, but it's just a type of it. And that was super helpful. Like that definitely really healed some very very deep issues for me and this is the thing I would say as well when you start doing that type of therapy that can be hard Mm. that can um, be painful and I'm not saying that to like deter people but it is about doing the emotional work it's just like 
you know, a surgery is traumatic on your body, you mm-hmm. know, like the doctor has to cut you open. It's a painful process. You will heal. Eventually, maybe it will remove whatever is ultimately ailing you and probably risking your life. But there is some damage to your tissues in order to get to that. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the therapeutic process, particularly psychodynamic, is um, is the same. Like, I remember feeling my trauma come out, you know, like feeling like I got opened up and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm in so much pain. Um, and it's a pain I obviously had that was affecting me, but I had did, like cut myself off from. Yeah, like It was like taking like painkillers every day to numb myself. And when I became sensitive to what was wounding me, that was hard. It was very difficult. You need your support systems in place. You know, you need the things that can keep you on track so you can navigate it. I am not... Um, I am not in pain every day anymore. Yeah. And I was, I really, really, and not I, even after that, I still was, to be honest, like there was just so much in there, like you say, like yeah. so much piled on top that I remember saying to my aunt once, it just hurts. Like I'm just constantly in pain, constantly in emotional pain. I'm now in a point in my life now where I feel good. I, I genuinely feel good. Like I have oh. highs and lows, you know, that's how life works, but I am not carrying a knife in my chest you know I can breathe like I can I can I'm sensitive to both my my pleasure and my pain that sounds amazing all right I'm gonna push on with like my GPs and just like you need to give me something else or I just need to just pay for somebody to do it I might just invest in it on myself because I I feel like it's worth the investment and that's the thing I spend money on other stupid things that I do not need and the one thing that I should be doing because I'm a massive believer um, that a lot of what your thoughts, what you're thinking can impact what you want. I do believe that. I do Absolutely. believe that your thoughts can essentially lead you to exactly where you want to be. And half the time, half the, not every situation is anyone's fault, but a lot of the times, and I'm being very careful when I say <laughs> this, not every situation is your fault. Um, but sometimes your thoughts can lead you into your place in life or your position in life. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to constantly be feeling like I'm a broken person. I don't want to keep saying I'm broke because I yeah. never have money. Like I have access to money. There's there is actually no reason I'm not broken because of that. And like your language and every all your thoughts matter. Yeah. And um, when you were saying um, like a lot of your fundamental beliefs about yourself, like you're not feeling good enough. I remember feeling exactly that. Like mm. oh, I am not good enough. And I'm like, I've achieved a lot of things. Like I have to keep rolling back. Like, no you have achieved that and going back through those CBT tools of, well, what is the evidence that to say you failed? And I had a situation at work similar to you, but not, it didn't start off bad. I did last a lot longer. It was very positive in the beginning and then it got bad, but this person actually broke my whole spirit. Wow. Um, told me I wasn't good enough. Um, said all my work was not good enough. Um, and it was kind of like a night and day situation from going like from like a lot of praise. Like I was heaped with praise from this exact person to saying everything I did was shit. Wow. And so it was like, wow, you like complete. And I, I, and I was a writer, so <laughs> I have not really written since. Um, I did a few bits of writing immediately after that situation ended. Um, and it was probably some of my best writing came out after that. Okay. And then it kind of like it dawned on me. I was like, no, I'm not a good writer. 
and I haven't written since. Like, wow. I, I cannot write. Um, and it's really bad. She really broke me down. That sounds like a trauma, especially if it's like created a block for you where you can no longer kind of access that point of your kind of personal creative expression yeah um the other thing I wanted to say I think sometimes when we get to that kind of um particularly beliefs like I'm not good enough it can sound surface right it can it can sound like well if you think about some of the great stuff you've done then you'll know that's not true one of the things that I really realized is that that wasn't um it wasn't about what I was doing because I'd achieved a hell of a lot I mean at the point in which I'm in the therapy room saying I feel this I just graduated first class yeah it wasn't about what I was doing I realized that I felt like I was not good enough as a as as, as a value I had value as a person inside yeah and then I was recognizing that that came from like particularly like issues of abandonment you know particularly like the dynamics of my relationships with my parents like those sorts of things that were subconscious messaging to me that I did not matter so that Mm -hmm. no matter how much I built on top of that whatever I achieved was on the foundation of at a soul level I don't think I'm enough so that would never satisfy it it doesn't matter what I do I could get a million first classes or do you know what I mean like I'm still going to feel like that. And I was recognizing actually then, and that's why The Gift of Imperfections is a great book too, because I had to recognize that my value can't be placed in any of those things. And I think that's also what helped me shift out of, I am a smart black woman, you know, because that was my safe place. I am really intelligent, you know, (laughs) and that is what's great about me. And that's going to get me through the world. And I was like, this is not helping. I am valuable if I'm smart or I'm not smart, mm-hmm. doesn't matter if I read or I don't read, if I write books or don't, like my value has nothing to do with any of the external stuff. And that's how I got to that kind of, well, I don't know nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I know some stuff and I don't know some other stuff. Like You good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So final questions for the podcast. What's the worst advice you've ever received? And what's Ooh. the best advice you've ever received? I like to end on a high. <laughs> <laughs> Worst advice. Leave him. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Leave him, girl. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to keep that as my worst advice. Girl. <laughs> I think that's really important. And it's something that I feel is coming up in a lot of my tarot readings um, with people trying to navigate emotional situations. And um, I said this as well, like meme culture can be very damaging to us because we talk about relationships in a way that's very transactional, you know, like if he ain't doing this for you, then he ain't shit. And if you ain't doing this, then, you know, it's a very, it's too transactional and people are making very fear-based decisions, you know, and Mm. love is messy and complicated and (laughs) complex. And sometimes we're having experiences that are actually for our healing and our growth, but we're so concerned about what that looks like to other people. Absolutely. So I'm in a place in my life, for example, where I don't really give my friends like advice, like about their love lives. I just don't. Like if they ask me, I could, I could, I could chip in. <laughs> but like, on the you whole, have two cents to throw I can, in. But... but on the whole, like I am very much like, what do you think? What do you want to do? What's your decision here? And also validating, like I trust you, like. I trust you to make a healthy choice. Like I'm finding that that is such a healing thing, particularly for women to hear. So often we're told you're, you don't make good choices. Do you know what I mean? Like you're incapable, you're too emotional or, you know, now I tell my friends, I think you're brilliant. I trust you. You, Even if you make um, a mistake right now, I know you're going to get to the point that's right for you. That's who I am. And I'm thinking it works wonders. So in terms of the best, the worst advice, leave him has been it. And... um, (laughs) The best advice I've had. 
the best advice I've had was actually from a psychiatrist. I have the unique experience of having seen one because you usually don't get to that point in terms of mental health care in the UK. Yeah, you don't. Unless you're experiencing psychosis, um, very, very severe mental illness. So I felt like it was a real mercy from God in some ways that um, I had that experience and it was very healing for me. Um, I'm always wanting to say names of people. Like I almost said his name, but he might not appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but he was a really amazing, wonderful person. And I I was thinking about this this week, like sitting in his office and the terrible state that I was in. And that was only last year. As I'm not talking about 2010 now. This was 2015. Wow. Um, I was suicidal at that point. Yeah. Um, all part of my spiritual growth in many ways. But again, like in so much pain and... And I, when I say suicidal, I mean like really wanted and was planning to end my life. Mm. Um, and being there with him and him just said, just letting me know how ordinary my pain was, you know, like, and I guess oh. we experienced that when we listen to music, you know, like when we listen to music, we recognize that so much of what we feel is universal. But when, we, when you're in the worst of your mental health, you feel particularly and specifically mad and particularly and specifically unable to cope yeah and he was like this is really super ordinary and that was my worst lowest point I was like so this not not you know this this is all right like and he was like yeah this is really ordinary like I love that that's beautiful advice (laughs) and so poignant because usually people panic Mm. and it's kind of akin to panicking and sometimes in the heart of a panic attack, all you need to do is just kind of just like breathe. Yeah. <laughs> just breathe. Just breathe. Thank you so much, Leona. Really this has well. been so much fun. How generous is Leona? I just cannot with her. Go and follow Leona immediately on YouTube and Instagram at Leona Nicole Black. That's L-E-O-N-A-N-I-C-H-O-L-E-B-L-A-C-K. If you're interested in tarot, I highly recommend checking her YouTube channel out first. Visit her website, NicoleBlack.com, to find out more about her services and her PhD. If you like how this podcast is sounding and you think you can do what I do, or maybe you just want to give it a try, check out the Shoutout Network at shoutoutnetwork.co.uk to find out about these amazing membership options starting at just £99 a month. Oh, and we're launching a new book podcast next week called Not Another Book Podcast, so stay tuned for that. Be sure to follow Wannabe on Twitter and Instagram at Wannabe Podcast. I love interacting with you guys over there, so please do follow. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or just hit the stars and leave a rating. Music is by Audio Binger, What Dreams Become. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Bye. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.